1: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com, that's B A R E. BoatAlaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast.
0: He plays in the seven, and eight-year-old division, and then the ten, nine- and ten-year-old division wanted to play a game against uh, a younger group, and so my my kid's team got sent up, and they just got fucking dominated.
1: <laughs>
0: like, I don't know if it was like, oh, this is the worst Nine and ten year old team, and they need to have their morale boosted by just absolutely dominating smaller kids. But that's what happened It's nice. I saw a
1: reel yesterday. It was like boys versus girls high school basketball. It was like their you know meet the whoever night or their midnight madness or whatever. So it was a scrimmage. It looked like it was against the, you know just the same school, and like. Girl misses a three, fast break, dunk, and then another one, (laughs) turnover, and then dude throws it against the glass, and then kid dunks, and I think, who thought this was a good idea? Sometimes you have really good, I don't know, let's not even get into it. Um, Welcome back to the podcast, Harrison Gotchling. Thank you. I've been pondering this for a little bit now, and I want to add or start with a preface one of the rivers I wanted to fish the most in Colorado was the Frying Pan River because I read about it uh, in a couple of my favorite fly fishing books. The author has like 10 books that he's written, and he me- he's mentioned the fry- Frying Pan River. So the only reason I wanted to go there was because I read about it. So I'm definitely that type of person who finds out about stuff and wants to go do things because you hear about it for others, or from others. Given that, I'm worried potentially, or I'm overly worried about what hunting looks like in 10 years with the amount of, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, I can agree with that statement because I mean, there are tons of places where you can look at today, whether it be paid subscription, like, um, go hunt or hunting pool where they'll just for a fee, the, they will lay it out in a way that there is now no more mystery about whatever it is you want to hunt in whatever specific area you want to hunt it. Yeah. And you can look on social media and, you know, local Facebook pages or whatever. For instance, like the 40-mile hunt Facebook page, which is, you know, people will share as much as they want to, whether it's a lot or a little, whether it's factual or not, and you kind of have to sift through that. Yeah, yeah. Same with, same with Rockslide. I mean, yeah. there's just so much availability out there for whatever you want to know
1: it's it's good it's nice that there there are people who are out there that are willing to help other people and we're connected more than we ever have been which is really nice because you're not one of the funnest opportunities that i had was a hunt uh, for elk in wyoming with with my wife it was so much fun such a different experience and so great so it's not i'm definitely not against uh allowing people to be informed or helping people be informed. But I think it's a little bit naive to not consider the potential consequences. And if you are just considering the potential consequences or thinking this through, that doesn't mean that you're a go hunt hater or that you think Onyx ruined things or that rock slides terrible. Those are great things to have. They're great opportunities. You can use them. You can not, whatever. But Part of the whole thing is, is is considering maybe where this leads us so maybe we can do it in a responsible way that doesn't end up doing unintended harm. What would that unintended harm be, you think? Uh, I was talking my, with my wife about this this morning and there's a decided difference between a Western hunt and an Alaskan hunt. Uh, we were talking about how hard it is to hunt a black-tailed deer and right now it's, if you go to Kodiak, based on social media, it's like going to the grocery store. I mean, it's so easy to hunt. It's like an entry-level Alaska hunt. You think, man, Kodiak, entry-level Alaska hunt. Who's there right now or who's going to be there in two months, you know, when it's dark and actually we start gaining in about, what, three weeks, we start gaining some time. But Kodiak is a rugged, brutal place. And so if you get to go up there and play for a week, like that's not not the real – that's not JV starter Alaska so that's a pretty easy place to to get a deer apparently because uh, you can glass a lot more Southeast is can be pretty tough during this time of year because if they're not responding to calls and you can't glass you're not sitting on some you know knob and glassing out across the prairie looking for mule deer this is this is some some pretty tough stuff so we're talking about how difficult that is uh, anyway so people in the southeast Alaska it's hard to go different places you are pretty much stuck where you are because it's a whole bunch of islands. The interior is just so massive. You know, When we went out on that uh, cold weather caribou hunt, it was, what, two hours up to where we hunted the 40-mile herd? About that, about an hour and a half yeah, or so. But, but the whole thing is glazed with ice. So I think that, that <laughs> yes. the... And, and, and we had to have snow machines. Like, There's a lot of logistical concerns that don't necessarily play. So I think this is the longest way to get to the question i'm not even sure what the question was unintended consequences for down south is you have more people crossing borders to go to these other hunts that they didn't really know about now they have an inside track and so you're going to get a whole bunch more people maybe in these spots and then also the attitude toward hunting Um, hunting as a way of procuring meat for sure But now sometimes you get the impression that it's not about the meat at all. It's about making money. And if it's your job, then that makes sense to a degree. This is your job. This is how you make your living. So it's not solely about the meat. Um, So if it's just about, if it's about a production, if it's about entrepreneurship, if it's about I have to get this animal down so that I have a compelling video uh, to share, to show, to market so that my sponsors are happy, it's not about the meat solely. And that attitude of there's going to be people. And it's kind of a, it's almost a desperation. We've had some people that have come up here and my buddy and I were looking at a, at a, at a bear and these two dudes like snooped right in, in front of us. And we talked to those guys 15 minutes before like, Hey, were you guys going to hunt? And they're like, Oh, we're going to go across. Cool. You know, we'll be here. You guys go across. We'll stay out of each other's way. And then we saw the bear. And then my buddy was going to, was planning a stock with his bow, and those guys just dropped down and shot the thing. I'm like, "What the heck, man!" But they were new to catch a can. They'd been hunting down south, and that sort of attitude was, "Hey, man, if, if you're not going for it, then we're going for it. It's the first one to it, first one to kill it wins." Um, and that doesn't have to be like that up here, and it's not necessarily like that up here. Um, there is it's competition like that for the forty sure. mile hunt. Yeah, and that's why I kind of wanted to ask you about. That there's, um, to, to clarify again the attitude of or just what pressure does to people when you only have a two-week season when this is your only real break when you when you're just a, a just the basic person who loves to hunt but there's more people maybe fewer deer maybe whatever the management down south has been great for habitat and for animals but if this is your two week season this is your only window there's a level of desperation that comes in. I felt it when I was down there I had one week to get a mule deer. And it was high intensity. I'll tell you what, because you know, there's a lot riding on it. Whereas if you can hunt 15, 20, 25 days of rut down here, there's not the same pressure. I'm going out again. So that the, the hunting in the West, if it gets more pressured, if it becomes more about, uh, you just get more of that desperation sort of thing because you talked about how you got this great tag. And so everyone thinks you're going to go and you have this awesome opportunity. And so if you go and you don't shoot something awesome, or do you feel extra pressure to to shoot something awesome because you have this awesome tag and to show off, we see it all the time here in Southeast with people in King salmon fishing and how much they whine and complain about how small the king salmon are because they didn't, they didn't catch a 50, 60 pounder. And you get the distinct idea that this person has talked up going to Alaska and how they're going to catch a 50 pounder or 60 pounder. And they bragged about it so much. And so if they go back and they didn't catch a 50 pounder, you know, that's, that's a shock to the, to the ego. So I think a Alas- and this is the longest answer back to the question again. Um, not in all cases, because Alaskans aren't benevolent, you know, we're just about to meet people either. But there's a there's a calm to it. And you and I were talking about this on that caribou hunt when the guy told us where the caribou were because it was winter, because it was negative 30. And he said, you know, do you have a pot to boil some water in? Because he wanted to make some coffee. and And we said, yeah. And he said, all right, the caribou were that way about four miles. And then he even waited for us to get back. I mean, that's just a very local attitude. Hey, you're up here to get meat. We're here to get meat. We don't have to fight each other. This isn't a competition. This isn't who gets it first. This is just, I I happen to uh, happen into them. I'm going to help you out. Don't know you, but might as well help you out. You don't get that if you're in a desperate race to punch the tag, fill the tag, hashtag tagged out, satisfy sponsors.
0: Yeah, and I can completely agree with everything that you just said. Um, But for instance, you know, it can that attitude can change in a heartbeat for the exact same area for the exact same hunt regardless of where you are for instance like if you are up on like a saturday morning you know up on the steese and you see there's a popular pullout and there's maybe like five or ten maybe even more people at a specific pullout but there's 300 caribou on the side of the road <laughs> no one is helping anyone it is everyone is getting on their machines or whatever they have as fast as possible maybe trying to shoot something seven eight hundred yards away just to make sure it's dead before they get there type of deal you know it's complete desperation where it's like jailbreak mode everyone needs their caribou no matter what fuck everyone else safety's out the window it's it can get squirrely
1: out there specifically but I would imagine you know that can be applied anywhere. Yeah, do you go do that hunt very much? The one that we did was in March, and the other opener is in. They
2: the have opener two changes. seasons
1: now. Do they, do they still have two seasons? Because I know the the population had recovered so dramatically. They were worried about overgrazing or the land not being able to 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 support the uh, the size of the herd, and so they had the uh, the winter season. It was at five thousand in the summer, five thousand in the winter, something like that.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I think a couple years ago, it was five thousand in the fall and five thousand in the winter. You know, because the quota was never met in the fall, and that quota was never met that winter either. Hmm. I think maybe accumulated the total harvest for that year may have been around fifty-five, six thousand or something like that. Okay, um, but it changes some years. For a long time, uh, before five, six years ago, there used to, you know, be a winter hunt maybe every couple years or every few years. But it seems like for the past, I think since like 2017 at least, there's been a winter hunt. Um, And the opener changes. Sometimes it's been December 1st. Sometimes it's late October. Sometimes it's after the new year. You know, it just changes.
1: Do you go up there very much anymore?
0: Um, If there's a winter season, I usually make it out at least once. Sometimes, depending if I can hunt with multiple people, I'll go out there more than once a year. But yeah. Do you go there for the, the for the fall hunt? no, i don't <laughs> I don't go out there for the fall hunt. I went a couple years ago with uh, my friend and his girlfriend who was new to hunting um, opening day, and we went into a couple popular areas and even went back like fifteen miles on four wheelers and the amount of you know we would get up real high and literally for every ridge top as far as you could see. and it's like being on top of the world out there in some places. Literally every ridge top, as far as you could see, there'd be headlights on top of it. So Yikes. we just turned around and went home.
1: Yikes! Welcome to hunting.
0: That's it. yeah. Welcome to the worst fucking hunting interior, Alaska.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I don't know, man. I, I it's hard to not be cynical. Some days I'm I'm totally fine. It's it, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just kind of the way it is. It depends a lot on the uh, populations. There's an island down here in southeast that it's they expanded the road system just enough um, and the wolves were taken out. So the remaining deer on the Island had some really good genetics and they were able to proliferate and then kind of word got out and man, it has been supporting a insane amount of people uh, hunting over there. And four or five years ago, just huge bucks coming off there and so many think, man, how can an Island this small, support this many bucks but you can get four deer on there and people are shooting They're just driving back and forth starting uh, opening day august 1st and you're getting <clears throat> like little spikes nubbin bucks and then nice forkies huge ridiculous four by fours i mean just everything just slaughter um, it's still tough i mean you don't go and get one every single time you're over there but the amount of pressure comparatively it's it's crazy but at some point it's gonna if not already, uh, starting to taper just too much pressure. There are a couple, um, couple places where I, they, they have to be running a night program. There's just zero chance that, uh, they're not just running a night program. Um, so, you know, then it's, then, then what, once that thing crashes, once we make the most out of that, once we've have descended on that and they now need to recover or you all, all you need is a, a wolf pack or two to go over there and kind of impact that a little bit or a couple bad winters. Um, so that's, you know, you're kind of living through that right now. And that's, that's kind of sad to, to look at. And I don't really like going over there anymore just because you know, you're going to see people, but without a boat, you don't have the opportunity and we can't really drive anywhere. So, um, yeah, it makes you wonder what, uh, what the future is going to be, but you know, the, the, the population can recover and maybe there's some other areas and you just keep things to yourself, then, uh, then you can, you can be all right.
2: After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That is mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint.
0: Yeah. With places like that, you know, mother nature will eventually usually fix itself for the most part, but, um, If left to people who know about it, they'll continue to go back there and continue to pressure these animals, whether they be in good numbers or not, because, you know, people feel entitled Mm -hmm. and, you know, and you kind of are because as a resident of the state, you know, the constitution of Alaska says that that game belongs to you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there is a sense of entitlement for sure that is warranted, I, I think, but... You know, if people are like, do I want to not have game meat for the year or do I want to not pressure a very localized population of animals for, so that maybe it might be better in five years. Yeah. I think most people are going to be like, I want meat. I don't give a shit. I'm going to let the next person worry about it.
1: Yeah. Well, also too, if someone else is going to do it, so it might as well be me because I know what I'm going to do ethically or this or that. And that's, I I don't, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. It's just kind of one of the dynamics. I certainly am not going to take the year off of fishing or hunting or anything like that. I mean, when, when it comes to steelhead, I have i don't know if I've evolved past or, or what it is, but I used to be just how many could I get? I was just amazed at this difficult fish to catch that I could catch one. And then it was like, well, how many can I catch now? And I just, it's still, again, I'm not some sort of elite uh, high functioning whatever i get frustrated but i'm a lot more satisfied with one fish than i was a couple of years ago and same uh i was happy uh, this year just getting two deer um but uh yeah we we it's there we want to be able to get it um who cares about the future or we might care about the future in a uh, making a post on Facebook sort of way. Like we have to make sure that we do this, but we're in the moment. And when it comes down to it, am I going to not hunt or am I going to, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting conversation with no real answers. And it's not judging people who do people have, have different circumstances. You know, obviously people who are guides or outfitters or charter fishermen or whatever. I mean, that's their livelihood and it's not to trash on them. It's not to trash on people who, who have proxy tags, not to trash on anybody. It's just talking about the different dynamics in the situation so that we can make sure that we make the, a good decision going forward. And um, I think you kind of see that in some of the people who market uh, some of these hunts and have some of these products. The, entrep- the outdoor industry entrepreneurs, you can kind of get an idea of if they're in it to kind of help people and provide a good service or a good product versus how can I extract this person from their money? How can I remove, uh, how how can I get rich off this? And that's, it's pretty greasy in in some regards, but there are some really good ethical people who just want to help other people.
0: Sure. And, you know, for some of those um, services, um, I imagine they all kind of start that way where it is people who are excited about sharing knowledge. And then all of a sudden, you know, they could see some potential from investors where Money comes in and it kind of pushes the whole reason it got started out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes a way for someone who's more money-oriented to try and figure out, all right, how do I get the knowledge to be able to push on these people to make it more enticing so I can sell more subscriptions? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that will impact game for sure. I mean, Hunt and Fool, um, I know, is really big for everywhere, Western states and Alaska. And it definitely does push up non-residents up here. And, you know, if people can come up here to do their dream hunt in Alaska, then more power to them. But it starts to get kind of challenging because, you know, you can look at the way that, for instance, the sheep populations have been up here for the past couple of years, how they've just been declining rapidly. And now there's a lot less opportunity. Mm -hmm. for everybody residents and non-residents and you know the guides certainly feel entitled that well i'm making money off this so that is my client sheep that is not a sheep for someone who lives in the state of alaska Mm -hmm. and it can it can get gross really quick yeah (laughs) i think it's going to lead to more places potentially being closed down you know or maybe down in the states more points needed to be allocated to draw a certain tag, or, God forbid, Alaska becoming a you know preference point tag oh, state, Oof. or open areas because the low uh, populations turning into draws, and yeah. that if that happens, everyone's screwed.
1: Yeah, forever. Yeah, I really hope that they don't go to a, a point system here. I mean, it is fair in that. I mean, it's easy. You need, up until they increased the, the prices what five, six years ago, it was dirt cheap, tag-wise and hunting license-wise to hunt up here. Obviously, getting up here is a lot more difficult. You can't just drive. But um, yeah, shoot, if we went to a preference point system, that would just be horrible. It, it gives the inside track to certain people. But like when I'm looking at Western hunts, I'm looking at an opportunity maybe, and I've saved a couple points so I can go on an elk hunt. But once I'm done with that, like, what I might get for three points now will probably be four, maybe five points later. Probably, you know, because everyone's mm-hmm. looking for the easy tag or the easy opportunity. So when I go down to hunt Wyoming, it's probably the last time I'm ever going to hunt it. It could be the same with mule deer. There might be a different opportunity, but I'm not going to put money into different states or I'm not going to be on the phone. I'm not going to tell my my freshman English class. Hey, just hold on. I'm, I'm on the phone or I'm on the internet with the Idaho department of fish and game waiting for my tag. (laughs) And then, Hey kids, just read Lord of the flies by yourself real quick. And just ignore the fact that I'm going through all my mule deer stuff. I'm not going to do that. Arizona's already passed me by some of these other States have passed me by and I'm, I'm fine with that. And it's in, in some way it's been good because it has really made me appreciate just the simplicity of what I have in the backyard. Like I get a, so I get to specialize in blacktail deer, and it's and it's also made me look at the people who are totally happy and content, not only getting their meat but also enjoying knowing so much about this one hunt and specializing. And then you look in the in the industry too. There are guys like that. Corey Jacobson is an elk guy, and um, uh, Brady Miller is a, is a mule deer guy. He prefers hunting with a rifle for mule deer, you know, and he's not some of these guys don't have that sort of checklist mentality where it's, it's good when people go to others. It's cool. It's, it's awesome. You go and you go to different experiences and that's not to say that anybody who has a whole bunch of different hunts under their belt is one of those checklist type people, but you know, you don't have to validate yourself as a hunter by having like playing the license plate game. You know, when you see in how many different places that you can, you can go. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm worried about the future in that, what happens if we do go to a point system and then we're shutting people out what if we um if there's more closures uh, by the rural subsistence board you know what is what is that going to do are we going to close off to to fellow alaskans are we going to change the allocation like what's 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 it going to look like and you know again if if we talked about residents should have first call 100% anilka provided that with uh the rural areas so yeah they should have um a little bit more say in the populations of animals in their area. It's their area. That's they're much more reliant on it than I just want an experience and meat. They don't really care about the experience potentially. So they should have extra say, but when you have these closures and the science doesn't necessarily back it up, then you think, all right, well, is that going to be what it's going to be in five to 10 years? We're just a matter of grabbing what we can to preserve what's left. And so you have, different hunting groups that are just grabbing what they can and all of a sudden we're left with wait there's not many opportunities i don't have the points i don't have the landowner tag i'm not rich and i'm not rural so what can i do i'll just go hunt the 40 mile herd with harrison i don't know
0: that that can get kind of squirrely I think there's also an idea that you can overthink it as well. Oh, that's um, what I'm doing 100%, man.
1: I've am i got nothing in me except for coffee and an hour's worth of talking with my wife before I got on the podcast. So this is like tinfoil hat hunting Lund guy. Yeah, so um, there
0: are a couple people in the interior here who are part of uh, this little social media deal, River Wizard. Um, and they're great fishermen and they fish all over the state fish all over you know North America and the world kind of um and they, they catch awesome big fish and you know their social media is beautiful with large fish anyway the Department of Fish and Game here they used one of their photos um about catching um big char up north and the absolute first comment that anyone posted on this uh the facebook post was man i wish i had money in a plane to catch a fish like that i'm not rich i'll never catch a fish like that and it's like dude you can sit there and overthink it and be like man must be nice these people mm. with the plane and spending all this tens of thousands of dollars it's like dude if you live in a state in the state on a road you can drive there yeah you can rent a raft for a week and a half if you want, for a few hundred dollars, or you can just walk, and yeah. you can catch those same fish. Like, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, you know, you can sit there and overthink it, or you can just do it. Yeah, that's where I think the the go hunts, the onx, the rock slides, they've really been helpful with the must be nice because. They're providing maybe the stuff that you didn't know, or it can be a really intimidating thing to to hunt or fish in a different area. And so providing that information to someone is huge. Not everybody has you know mentors, aunts, uncles, fathers, moms that have shown them these sort of things, and so they those services provide an awesome um, introduction into this is how it can be done. And it, do, it you don't have to have all those things. It's not a matter of, not everybody who goes to Alaska is rich. People save money and they prioritize things. And so they can afford the ticket and they can afford to um, pay the license, pay the tag and then get the meat home. And that's good for them. They sacrifice and they put value in the experience. And that's an awesome thing to have. And that is provided by or helped by these services that help make that connected. Um, but you still definitely have the must be nice crowd because the assumption is that if you're doing anything out of state that you have some sort of you know financial leg up when it could just be as simple as you know saving some money yeah and you know it it doesn't even for the
0: people who live here in the state it doesn't even have to be out of staters it could be people who just excuse me are just determined to go to an area and do it and it takes a lot of sorry takes a lot of logistical energy to go somewhere 700 miles away. You know, if you live in Anchorage and you want to go to the North Slope to catch a fish, you know, that seems like a ridiculous thing to do. And it is kind of ridiculous because it's like another world away. But I think that a lot of people would rather just sit there and either feel bad or generally a lot, there's a lot of people out there who just do it and don't say anything about it. Yeah. To just do it, to go for the experience, do the experience, go home, tell their friends, their family, show some pictures, and then that's it. Yeah.
1: I think part of it, too, the the feeling is an indictment of yourself because you feel embarrassed that you didn't make it happen. So the initial reaction is anger toward the other person for making it happen. It's like a subconscious feeling of shame, maybe, for, for some people. Like, I could have done that, but I don't this person does and so i'm just going to assume that they have something that i don't when it wasn't a monetary thing it was a just go get it attitude type thing and i also do like the people who are totally unencumbered by keeping up some sort of social media presence one of the best blacktail hunters i know um i mean granted he is hunting in a in a target rich environment but still like he he has like 90 and that's no exaggeration He's, he's lived on Prince of Wales for like 40 years. And so if you get three to four deer per year, yeah, it makes sense. He's got like 94 points on his wall and they're just megas (laughs) and like from rut, from Alpine. the guy just knows everything about, about blacktails. He just spends so much time up in the mountains and two hip replacements. Uh, He had, um, what is it when you're uh, detached, we had a detached retina. So he said one day he woke up and, like, it was like a, 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 a shade being drawn, slowly dropping over his eye. And it terrified him. He said, You know, it's just what happens when you have a detached retina. So he had to get that fixed. Um, so he said, I, All those things, but he still goes up mountains. I mean, the guy just stays after it. And he doesn't know what social media is. I showed him on X, like, maybe last year. He's like, Whoa, this is something else. Because he was still, you know, plotting the old stuff on the uh, you know, an old Garmin, you know, the, the, you are just looking at your track and you don't really know you're looking at the, at the contour lines, but he knew the mountain so well. He didn't really need it. It was just a matter of kind of making sure he knew where, where the truck was or whatever, but yeah, to be that happy with just the one hunt you do, um, and just specializing has got to be cool. Uh, he's also gotten moose and, uh, he did doll sheep and he's done mountain goat and, um, went to Africa a couple times too, but there also are, really really good hunters and i'm sure you have them up there with caribou that they don't do big trips they they are excellent moose hunters or they are dialed in caribou hunters and you only really get that if you spend most of your time doing that one hunt that's how you become that expert rather than you know dabble here or there yeah you know i think that also being in kind of
0: secluded places such as southeast or you know places like in southwest king salmon area i mean there are people out there who there is no road system you can't Mm -hmm. so it's kind of it forces you to maybe become specialized if that's the thing you want to do whereas places like up here and i'm certainly guilty of it where it's like oh this year i'm going to go do this and next year i'm going to go do that you know i'm going to drive south here east this way for that south for this you know and it's you can kind of get distracted and and so kind of becoming a jack of all trades, master of none type thing. Well, it, it can, for me personally, that's kind of what I've been doing the past few years and it can create some kind of like idea in my mind, at least that it's like, man, I just need to focus on a couple things really well. Stop, um, obsessing about specific animals for no real reason other than that. They're pretty. And they're mm-hmm. fun to hunt, you know, and specifically where I'm going with that is like sheep for me. Like I've I shot a sheep a few years ago. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's not a once in a lifetime experience for me because I want to continue to do it. But it's like I need to be able to prioritize shorter trips mm-hmm. because I have two kids, a wife, a full time job that has crap time off right now. Um, and I just need to, you know, figure out easier ways to get my hunting fix and meat fix and then maybe dabble in other stuff more, do more fishing. This, this year, uh, I'm trapping more and I'm taking my son with me trapping. And so it's, that's been satiating an outdoor fix
1: for me. Mm-hmm. We well, also had that, uh, moose float with, uh, Steve and your kids. That's, that looked like it was pretty cool. Even though you didn't get a moose, you had a little bit of, a little bit of rain in there. Like that sort of experience you doing a moose float. Like that's, that's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. That was just one of those
0: things where it's like, you know, we both Steve and I talked, like if we get a moose, it's going to be insane. Like if we even see one, it's going to be ridiculous. And it was mostly just a thing where it was a trip with our, with our two sons and you know, his son is nine. My son was six or no, he was seven. And it was just a lot of fun just spending two and a half, almost three days, just on the river stopping, you know, having them kick rocks and build fires and, you know, just be kids. It was just a ton of fun. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. There's so many, so many great experiences to have out there and it's what, you know, whatever you want to do, do. If you want to specialize in caribou, do it. If you want to be a, a sheep maniac, then do it. If you want to do a little bit of everything, like who cares, whatever, man, it just, whatever, whatever you like to do, go for it. You know, if you want to start up a business, if you want to be a guide, if you want to do doesn't matter. That's great. Start a podcast. Just start a website. Do whatever. But I think that frame of reference is very helpful with uh, with things going forward. Just uh, keep an eye on stuff and not uh, not losing track. I think sometimes uh, people kind of lose track and all of a sudden you end up your, you're the liver king and you're buying $10,000 of, uh, <laughs> of, <laughs> of human growth. <laughs> what do you think that started with? Was he like, oh, I just want to help people? Or do you think it was like a scam from the start? Dude, he wanted to be as jacked as he could be because he's like five foot
0: four. Oh, is
1: he? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah.
0: I don't think he wanted to help you. I think he wanted to make money to pay back his Mexican heart supplements or whatever the hell he's taking. Yeah. Huh. I'm sure he racked up some serious debt.
1: Kind I of wonder but that that, uh, that crypto guy too, where he can't account for like billions of dollars in investors. Like, did he? He, he made that comment about how he started off as helping people. Like he wanted to help people, he wanted to give it all away when he was when he was done, and now it's just an absolute total mess. Like, did he really start off good, and then once he he sold his soul, once he saw the dollar signs? No, I don't
0: you know. think there was ever an, any intent <laughs> to help anybody.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's something because you
0: can look at the way that that FTX coin was created, and it was completely fraud from the beginning, and they knew exactly how to manipulate the market to be able to invent this coin that was worth nothing and then get a bunch of investors and then pump it full of actual cash and then just have it go crazy and get more investors like tom brady and then oops there's actually no money instead they were on they were like in the bahamas or like the cayman islands or something him and like nine other people and they were just having an orgy all the time just spending actual people's money and then uh uh-oh whoops all our money's gone comes the caller,
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's, uh... What would you do if you won the lottery? Like, I want to say that I would donate money. I'd have a scholarship. So, like, one journalism student every year would get... I'd pay for their whole school. Like, the benevolence that happens in these thought exercises is quite extensive. But what do you think you would actually do? Do you think you would actually, like, give away a good amount of money? Would you... What would you do with it? (laughs) You want are you, yeah, you go you go p- Powerball and you win five hundred million dollars. What are you doing with it? Uh buying a boat, probably doing some vacations.
0: Definitely paying for my family's homes, and then squirreling away a
1: lot of it, and then just living my life normally. Yeah. I think that that would be the key to be able to keep normalcy. And yeah, just don't kinda... freak
0: out and be like, "Oh my god." I... I need to have like solid gold lined
1: inlaid rifles now, yeah, you know I would be tempted I would buy land. I would probably buy a ranch in like there you go in in Wyoming. So then I'm like becoming this private landowner. I would only <laughs> let my friends hunt it. like oh my gosh, that's the exact same thing as like the tycoons, right? It's the the oil guy is a bad guy because he has this really nice ranch. He only lets his friends or rich people hunt it. But if I was doing it, it's different because I was a teacher that won the lottery. So I get to do <laughs> you know, it. so weird. Yeah. No, I've never even thought about
0: the idea of benevolence of winning a lottery. It was like, <laughs> well,
2: well, you the, talked only, about the buying only time your... is like
0: for family. Yeah. Like for random people, n-
1: not a chance, dude. No way. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, as a teacher, you see a lot of kids who just don't have much and money doesn't solve problems. Man, being able to have school or trade school or you know something paid for would just be some of those kids you're like oh man you're on you you don't have much room for air potentially and gosh dang i hope you stay on the right track is
2: yeah, I
0: mean, yeah you talk about wanting to help people it's like you kind of already are like if you win the that person who won like the one billion dollar powerball well they only took home like four hundred and thirty million dollars <laughs> yeah the The rest of that six hundred plus million dollars, yeah, that's already going to taxes. That's that's enough helping. Yeah, like you don't you don't need to help out anymore. That's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, help uh, help fill the uh, um, the wartime coffers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get them longer, man. Well, what else <laughs> you got, man? About um, about where we're gonna be in 10, 15 years with hunting? I don't want to sound gloom and doom. I don't. Did I sound like negative? Was I? Uh, was I? At, no, out of at line? Just, just no. You're just talking about
0: um, the possible realities of, you know, mm-hmm. where things have gone in other places, like preference point states. You know, I don't know if if there have been any Western states in the past ten years that have gone from an open draw to a preference point system. But at some point in time, all those states maybe were open draw, then went to preference points. But you know, for me, like I don't even look at Arizona. And a couple other states for preference points where it's like, I'm already in my 30s. Like, there's no point. I don't want to do something in 30 years. I would like to do it in two years, and mm-hmm. that's not possible there. So I'm not even going to look at it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's plenty two, of two like, or three years
0: is the threshold. Yeah. I think that there's plenty of, you know, people want to be like, I did this, OTC, DIY, under the table, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I had so much fun and, you know, we got out there and got after it and whatever kind of stupid shit you want to say about it. But, you know, people do like to get romantic about going out into public land and, you know, doing things on their own. But it's like, if you really want to go hunt a high-quality, like, mule deer, is it really that bad to go pay a private landowner somewhere and go hunt on their ranch. Whether it be, you know, straight up shooting fish in a barrel type situation, or like a lot of Western Texas odd ad hunts where it's like, yeah, there's 25,000 acres out here and there's some roads in between. Have fun. You know, it could, it could be either way and you could do as much or as little as you want. But, it, yeah. you know, I think that if people save up a little bit extra money and just pay for trespass fees or, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think that there's still value in that too.
1: Yeah. And do what you want. Yeah. Who cares
0: if, who cares if it's not a way that certain people would do it or what have you. I think that there's still, even if in 10 years, everything gets locked behind preference points. I still think that there's going to be plenty of stuff to do, you know, and it doesn't have to all be fishing. You can, or I mean, sorry, all be hunting. You could go fishing. You could do, tons of other activities that would still check off those things that I think a lot of people are going hunting for. Yeah. Of course, a great end byproduct is meat, but it's also for me more than almost more than anything. It's about being out there disconnecting.
1: Yeah. Well, I think part of the the thing is, or part of the problem uh, for some people is that it's so easy for us to just experience that. I'm looking at the window as, as we're talking, I'm looking at the ocean I'm looking at the sunrise I mean, this is a. I can step out my door and I can walk out back behind the house and I can hunt deer from there. There's there's wolves back there. It's wild right here. And so the need for people to get away from their just horrible commute, the drive, the honking, the just the chaos of of humanity. um, I think that's why it becomes so important and such an amazing thing that people want to do over and over and over again and ho- have these different experiences because it's so different than what their normal day is and for us it's just just ordinary i mean I, we can do this we can access this level of even if we're not hunting like just what what does it ha- what psychological effect does it have on me that i'm looking at the sun come up over the ocean like what does that do to my starting point versus what was my starting point when i was living in California? And you got the the hum of the freeway and then you got the stoplights and you got just the chaos of that. How much extra anxiety is that? So when people are finding hunting as a way to, it's not just the hunting, it's also the moving out and getting away from all that stuff, even if it is just a week or 10 days or two weeks at a time. But it looks so much, they look forward to that so much because that's how many, 52 weeks in the year? How many weeks do we have in a year? Yeah. Yeah. 52. Yeah. I don't know why I stumble on that one, but, um, yeah. <laughs> so, so if, um, yeah, if, if, if two weeks out of the year you get to do that, that's, that's huge. You want to tilt your, tilt your year to that. And if you want to pay a, pay a guide or pay a outfitter or pay whatever so that you can maximize the opportunity during those two weeks then shoot, do it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, as, so you had brought up, uh, you know, my float hunt that I did a, This fall, it was, you know, it wasn't anything glorious. It was like a a two day type deal, but it was the first time that I've actually like camped out of a raft and it immediately made me go buy another bigger raft so that I can bring (laughs) all my family next year. And just doing that kind of stuff is like so much fun. It was like incredible, just the calmest waters ever, you know, even when there was like a slight the water was so calm that if there's a slight breeze going upstream, your raft isn't moving nice. type of deal. Um, and that's what I'm looking forward to as my daughter gets older and can finally can start doing a day trips and a couple day trips and stuff like that. I'm really looking forward to getting out and sharing that and, you know, not making it all be about killing stuff. And, Cause I think I've kind of moved past that a little bit to where, when I first started seven or eight years ago, that's what it was all about was shooting something and making sure that I was there to take that animal that I was trying to chase. And, um, and I got into a bit of a like mental issue with that, where I started following more people on Instagram and seeing all these people shoot all these ridiculously beautiful animals and all over the state, all over the country. And it's like, man, I definitely got into that must be nice mindset
2: mm-hmm. for
0: a while, and I had to take Instagram off my phone, take Facebook off my phone, and like just be like, I'm outside, I'm doing my thing. This is enough. Mm-hmm. And I definitely battled with that, but battled. I don't do it anymore. But you know, because f- like for instance, this year, this is the first year that I haven't uh, taken an animal in like seven or eight years straight. Oh, my and gosh.
1: So are, you gonna lose, are you going to lose your Instagram? I, I Yeah. You're going to get I'm kicked gonna, off the uh, caribou forum. Yeah, I'm going to be taken to the lame jail. Yeah, I'm probably not going to publish this episode. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I but, was uh, – Yeah, go yeah. ahead. No, I, that was it. I, uh, I wrote a column last year, I think um, – And it was about when my buddies and I would golf down in California, we would always cheer the person who golfed the worst and, you know, make the same joke every week because they were getting more, more strokes per round, um, by being horrible. You know, if you go there, the fewest strokes, you know, you win, but then you didn't really get the whole experience. You didn't get to see, you know, we, we golfed at this horrible place that had a, there was a trailer park that the golf course went around. So, I mean, it was, and it was right next to the freeway. So, I mean, we'd be spraying, golf balls everywhere into the woods into the into the side of trailers it was it was something it wasn't like a permanent trailer park it was kind of a long term but not permanent trailer park thing it wasn't real like method or anything like that it was more i don't know it was something but um so i kind of equated that to hunting during the fall and um just how many days to go out, go out every weekend. Cause mine as well, you know, September can be an okay up top. you know, if you're in the, if you're in the Alpine, um, October, they're not moving a whole lot, but just going out every weekend. So that lowers your success rate. Um, uh, as, as far as total days, so if you go out, if I, if I hunt 40 days, um, and I only get two deer, like my success rate is very, very low but who cares? Like I went out every weekend and had some sort of experience outside. If I only go during the pre- premium days or if I go up to Alpine, kill two deer on the first day in the Alpine, then wait two uh, for rut. And so go out four or five total days, you know, or I kill something every day. Like that's, you know, I'm four for four. That's great. But I only went out four days. I only had four hiking, camping, whatever experiences. And so I want to have my percentage as low as possible. Cause that means I went out a lot. Yeah, I think that percentage thing, you know, you can look at it like that, but it's the way that I look
0: at it is if if you go out a ton for one animal, it's like you only have, you know, for some, a lot of animals or rather most of them, you only have one tag for that whole season. Yeah, And so your success rate, I don't think, I think you could get yourself in a mental bind pretty quick by thinking of how many trips out and versus, you know, I only have one tag to fill. And I'm going to fill it in this year. And if I fill it this year, who cares if I do it in one trip or five trips, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have the time to do five trips, I'd much rather do five trips and go home
1: empty four times. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you do like with the caribou hunt on the hall road this year that uh, I did with my buddy, we had five days, so it was going to be a little bit tight, but you know, you just hunt the heck out of it. So there were a couple of times where, you know, like, oh man, are we going to hike past the five? Like we have to, we're here. This is, we have to make the most of it. We don't want to go home empty handed and think, gosh dang it. You know, we were going to hike out past the five mile mark, but we didn't, maybe that would have made the difference. I mean, it didn't, we hiked out there and we hiked immediately back in because it was so dang flat and we saw nothing at all. Like this is, this is not good. We need to get back to the road so we can move. So we hiked those 10 miles in the tundra pretty much nonstop. That was horrible. Um, then we saw, you know, a guy up there who found out about the hunt somehow, who spent the morning drinking fireball in his tent because it was foggy. This dude was from Kansas. like, well, I mean, you're on the North Slope and you're having fun. You're making the experience, so I'm not going to judge. But, dude, w- there's, there's some caribou around. Like, why are you – it's, it's, it's <laughs> 10 o'clock and, you know, you were talking about how you've been drinking fireball in the morning and you have a 10 millimeter on your chest right now. What, what, what kind of experience are you having? No judgment, but I'm still kind of judging you. Oh,
0: judgment is being cast for sure. <laughs> yeah, for,
1: for sure. <laughs> Spent all the money to come up here because our truck rental was like five thousand dollars. So even if you get the yours budget, was yeah four thousand oh three thousand
2: two thousand
1: I don't know Thousands. I had no idea. Holy Christ! Yeah, because we got a truck. You have to get a truck. I mean, I guess you know, oh, the, yeah. the hip thing to do is get one of those budget rental type things. We saw a couple of those around. That's been circulating on oh, on the, the socials. Do that, huh? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we got a truck, so it was it's pretty expensive. I think maybe it was, yeah, I think it was, gosh, I think it was around $4,000 to rent that thing for seven days or whatever it was. My goodness. But, yeah, worth it, fun. Got them, so. Yeah. Uh, hey, what's on tap, man? You got, uh, it's a little cold up there, I'm assuming. You got some snow? We don't have any snow here. We got a little snow up top, but what's the weather like? Yeah.
0: I saw a picture that Abby posted yesterday and I, I was like, is that from earlier in the season? Like what, what's going on there? And it looked beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Um, for here, it's been extremely mild this winter so far over the past couple of days. We probably got four or five inches of snow. Um, but yesterday it was 28 degrees. Oh, that's about, yeah, go. it's been in the
1: twenties here. So we have, we usually have three or so weeks of cold snap and this is, this is our first one where it's been cold. It's been below freezing um, all day for the last four or five days, and it's supposed to warm up a little bit, uh, rain, and start snowing next week. But oh, okay, yeah. So it's been cold, but everything down here is, you know, still green. Like your muskeg is still going to be green. You know, obviously the cedars and spruce and all that stuff are going to keep their their needles. Mm-hmm. So it really. If you don't know any better, you could look at the wind and you could think, oh, is this, what time here is year is it? Then you look down and you see all the berry bushes have lost their leaves and it, it looks fall and wintery, but it certainly doesn't look like it's, you know, 15, yeah, degrees. Yeah, for sure. You know,
0: the winter here has been extremely mild so far and it's been quite nice. Um, in my my trapline area, it's been uh, quite snowy and every all the brush gets snowed in real hard and you know both times we've gone out my son and I have gone out so far it's been just really nice and easy you know we don't have to battle through 20 30 below and trying to mess with stiff springs and and brutal cold but i mean i'm sure that the time will come this season still it's still early we're still losing daylight right now so we're not even around the corner yeah
1: it's, it's crazy how it feels like the days keep getting shorter. They stop and then they only start gaining again in February. January just seems like you just get locked into this cold, dark, gray, and it doesn't feel like you're gaining at all. Yeah, and, and that's where it can... You
0: know, the, the January, February, almost March time frame is where I think a lot of people really start to have their mental struggles with living here in the interior because you know, you you've been losing time for so long and then by the time that the winter or, or that flip happens, you know, for the first week or so it's like you're only gaining back seconds, not even like full minutes. So it's not really even a big switch. So it's just like It gets darker and darker and darker and then it's dark and then it stays dark for a long time and then the coldest part of the year happens for the interior yeah and so people can have struggles and truth be told last year was the first year you know i've been living up here all my life 32 years and last winter was the first year that i had a struggle with the winter dragging on for as long as it did
1: Once you get into the new house and everything, the new excitement will be uh, well. That will help be helpful for sure. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of
0: time between now and then, but it's on the horizon. Yeah.
1: Cool, man. Well, always good to talk to you. I'll let you uh, let you have your day. Sounds like you got the got the family out. So enjoy a, a beautiful Fairbanks day. Oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of snow removal at our
0: property today. <laughs> Excellent. So. Well, the kids are old enough to help. So. Oh, yeah, I'm bringing a couple snow machines out, and I'll just let them be able to drive them around while I mess with the snowblower, and
2: it'll be a good day. Nice. Cool. Thanks, man. Take care. You too. Later.